0: What's, what's the song at the moment?
1: Um, don't stop me now I
0: don't know like <laughs> oh, well I know Freddie Mercury now but don't stop me now because I'm having such a good time with Matthew and Ruby don't stop me now Igor got rear Don and Alicia O'Sullivan and Kian Hederman Connor Smith it's the podcast yo that's the intro right there. Oh
1: my God that's gonna <laughs> be <like> the
0: best <laughs> intro going now.
2: Oh my god!
1: (laughs) Hi everyone, welcome to the first episode of What in the World Is Underscore. I'm Matthew Joyce. I'm Ruby Buckley. So a lot of firsts today. This is our first episode and our first episode of our first series, which is Living with COVID. So today we're going to be talking about education during the COVID pandemic. So we've got a lot to get through today. We have the Leaving Cert exams, the Junior Cert exams, the reopening of schools, online school, how that can be done, and so much more as well. So we have a great panel to discuss it as well, don't we, Ruby?
3: Yes, so education has been highly affected due to COVID. You know, so our discussions will cover schools and the different sectors and the different issues that have been brought up by government and students. And the main thing that we covered today was student activism and students' voices being heard.
1: So I think it might be best if we explain what's happened during the COVID-19 pandemic in terms of education before we get started with the panel discussion. So primary and secondary schools have been closed since the Christmas holidays, with dates to reopen pushed back from mid-January to the end of January and February, and now it's going to be across March and April, according to the revised Living with COVID plan. Just to point out by the way the panel discussion took place on Monday and the reopening of schools was announced on the Tuesday so when we discuss it no plan had been announced so when I say is March 1st realistic this of course was before all this plan was announced so disregard that. Now separately colleges have been practically closed throughout the whole pandemic except for special cases where practicals and workshops for some courses can only take place in person. As a result students in all levels of education have been learning from home and Teams and Zooms are basically very well known words in homes since the very start of the pandemic. Now in terms of the state exams of course they are the junior and leaving cert exams. A lot has happened in the past week but first we might want to go back to last year to really understand what's happened. Schools closed on the 14th of March and didn't reopen at all afterwards until September. As a result, doubts were cast originally on oral exams for Leaving Cert students, which were to take place a week after schools closed. As a result, they first delayed the orals, and then just gave every student 100% in it in Irish and their modern foreign language. Next, doubts were cast on the written exams. Then Taoiseach Leo Varadkar said the written exams would take place by hook or by crook, that's what he said, in July and August, a little later than planned, but no timetable was actually ever issued, and then on the 8th of May, the exams were cancelled and replaced with calculated grades by the Department of Education, rather than the State Examinations Commission or the SEC, because of legalities around it. They were eventually issued in September rather than a normal August date, but anyone who wasn't happy with the results could sit an exam in November, but that meant they had to defer any college offers until 2021. However, in late September, when college places were already given out, controversy then ensued when errors were found in the calculated grades algorithm affecting a couple of thousand students, where they actually deserved higher grades than they got originally. However, as more people got better grades, more college places would be needed to cater for it, and that did happen in fairness. Now the same has happened this year, since schools did not reopen in January as planned, and are still not open until March the 1st, except for special schools. A week ago, after many, many months of waiting, the Leaving Cert exams were not cancelled, but instead made optional, with the option to get an accredited grade by the SEC or doing an exam, or you could mix and match the subjects. This was the CHOICE campaign that was promoted by students across the country for a long time, but it was finally done by the government. And the junior CERT exams in both 2020 and 2021 were cancelled altogether. So, what happens now? We've got a panel to discuss it.
3: So, first up, we have Connor Smith. He was a leaving CERT 2020 student who was very vocal on last year's exams and seemed to produce a good relationship with Pat Kenny on News Talk. How many times were you on his show, Connor?
0: Uh, three times, I do believe, actually.
3: He's studying creative digital media in Dunleary Further Education Institute, and he is also a YouTube content creator with his YouTube series, This Is Not a Podcast. Thanks for joining us, Connor.
0: It's an absolute pleasure to be here.
1: Yeah, next we have Alicia O'Sullivan, and she is the education officer of the Irish Second Level Students Union and also a Leaving Sort 2020 student as well. She was part of the stakeholder group in organizing the format of this year's state exams, and she's studying law in University College Cork. So I hope I never, never get in any legal battles with Alicia because I almost certainly lose. I have no chance there. Uh, thanks very much for joining us, Alicia.
4: Thanks, Matthew. I go easy on you, I go easy on
3: you. <laughs> um, next up we have Calum Hederman. He is a Leaving Cert 2021 student and has been very vocal about this year's Leaving Cert. I still remember when he appeared on Ireland AM and basically dared Norma Foley to speak to him publicly about the exams. Did you ever hear anything about that?
5: I actually did. And unfortunately, it was a no. But look, we, we move and it's it, it all worked out in the end. Now we do have some sort of a decision. But uh, thanks very much for having
1: me. I'm delighted to be on. And finally, someone I never expected would say yes to appearing on a podcast by two 19 year olds that hasn't even started yet, let alone any TD. It's Aeon Arreardon. And he is the Labour TD for the constituency of Dublin Bay North. And he is the Labour spokesperson on education, enterprise and trade. Thanks for joining us, Aeon. Now, I do have a quick question for you before we start. Listeners may have seen a tweet, or when I mention this, they will instantly go and find this tweet, where you showed off your large collection of 1998 World Cup programmes. Now, I'm assuming you're not a big football fan then, Aeon.
2: Uh, Oh, yes, I am. Uh, And there's been more than just one tweet about uh, my football uh, uh, program collection. Yeah, I have, because of lockdown, I've gone back to the shoeboxes and and dug out some more programs. And um, I I have a kind of a, a football jersey collection as well. So, what I try to do is start conversations because everybody's stick, kind of stuck at home and I'm and, um, and, and pretty down in the dumps at the moment and I also have a football walking tour which I do one of the lads that used to be in, in that pre match so yeah it's a kind of a it's a, a passion of mine that I, I I'm trying to rekindle because I'm trying to stay home as much as I can.
1: So let's get started and our first topic is on learning from home and the reopening of schools So the first question is really for, I I don't like to say this, but the kids of the conversation, but I I don't know what other way to describe it. So Connor, Alicia and Caleb, I'm going to ask each of you, and uh, then I might ask Aion for his comment as well. What is it like for you's learning from home at the moment? Have you developed any plans or strategies to try to get the most out of it by not being actually in person in school? So I might start off with Connor.
0: Well, thank you very much uh, Matthew. Um, I suppose learning over the last wee while remotely has really taught me uh, to be grateful for the setup that I have. I'm somebody that has a rooms to themselves, a wee office with a decent sort of a computer and a, a, a monitor here. And I'm able to, you know, be in an environment where I can get the most work done. and the key challenge over this last wee while has been for students that don't have those parameters and aren't able to learn so i suppose gratitude was the first lesson uh, but also then you know people put a lot of pressure on themselves to you know do their best during this time and you absolutely need to do that but for me working from home I had to recognize ultimately that it's not going to be the same as being there so you know not to be so hard on myself so gratitude and self-compassion are the two big lessons during this time and look it's not easy but well you know there's positives to it we're, we're doing our best and we're just trying to uh, keep going to the best of our capabilities at this time so all is not lost.
1: Uh, Alicia uh, I might come to you now. Learning from home, your in law and UCC. Have have you have you actually been in the college at all for any of the the courses or the classes or what's been happening?
4: Um, not for the classes. Um, for I've gone into the library and stuff because um I'm from rural Ireland, like Skibbereen, West Cork, Carnage Wi-Fi. Um, just does it's just it doesn't exist. Like it's not a case of not being able to uh, afford it. Um, luckily, which is the case for some people. Um, it's just a case of just you you can't get it so I'm actually up in the city at the moment um, which you know is quite tough like when there's barely anyone up here anyway Um, you know all my family have kind of moved home and you know it is tough like when you especially when we're in a lockdown and you can't really see anyone it wasn't too bad um, towards the beginning um, of the year but yeah like I suppose I was barely in school for my leaving cert so learning from home is like nothing new for me but um, It definitely is tough. Like, I mean, the social aspect of college is like, you know, all we're hearing from our lectures is like it's the social aspect that like you'll remember, like it's not being in the room and like having the banter and like kind of, you know, throwing things against each other, particularly for something like law. I mean, like, you know, communication and like meeting people and being able to read people's faces is everything. So definitely been tough and not easy but um yeah like I love my course so I, I guess at least I have that um and look I think a lot of people have dropped out this year like even I've noticed people have left my course and I think like what Connor said you know like we're probably expecting too much of ourselves you know like we're not really set up <clears throat> to be learning um 100% online like this um even at college um the mind say like a second level student so I do think it's tough and I think we have to pat ourselves on the back and say like for what we're doing um is amazing and like no other students have had to ever do this for their course
1: yeah and uh Calum, now leaving CERT this year of course we heard what happened last last week and what's been happening how's learning from home now you're in a completely different situation now you're in secondary school rather than college what's it been like uh to, trying to get through the through all this learn from home
5: it's definitely been a difficult one and i think it's highlighted the barriers to our education system and um, what i suppose from a personal sense like i have spent more time sitting at this desk studying through my computer than in the classroom um, and having to sit a, a, a full set of exams come june is is definitely a difficult one and it's, it's one that obviously up until last week there was a lot of uncertainty around so that's definitely welcome but i think it's important as well that we have specifics so we know what we're working towards um, but but finding different things that work for me I've definitely tried all these study techniques I've tried all these mindfulness hacks and and we've seen all these influencers on social media but what's what's been really helpful for me is just keeping things simple and taking it day by day and I heard a, one of my friends said it to me before and it was small and often and it was just about everything whether it was the leaving cert whether it was trying to study whether it was trying to get work done yourself or even exercising is small and often, and that's what I've been trying to do now. I'm looking at my revision plans, it's probably poorly placed now for the interview. I see the revision plans up on the wall in front of me, but um, it's, it's definitely been difficult. And like Connor said, like we're, I, I'm very lucky to be in a position where not only at home I have the facilities to study um, and, and get a very high level of education as well. That my, my school and my teachers have worked really hard um, and worked diligently with the funds that they've been given from the department and the, the supports that have been there to make sure that, that everyone in our school has actually had the capabilities to study from home and attempt to do it. So it's definitely had its difficulties. It's had its ups and downs trying to find different ways. And I can't say sitting a, a two-part math, math exam is the, the nicest thing to do from home. But um, look,
1: we're, we're, we're built here for challenges. So um, it's, it's been an interesting one. Um, Aeon, it's been tough for all students for the past few months, the first the first lockdown, schools were closed. There was a lot of uncertainty as to what was going on. And then the third lockdown, obviously, we don't really know what's going on either. Um, so it has been very tough for students, hasn't it?
2: Well, it has. And I suppose what has done, it has exposed the fault lines in Irish education. And I think what we need to focus our minds on is that as we power through this, and we will get through this, is that we can't return to normal because in many situations, normal was the problem. I spent a long uh, time teaching in a place called Sheriff Street in the northeastern inner city, and it exposed to me the realities of of what many families have to power through in order to get anything out of the Irish education system. So there can be sometimes a kind of a, a middle Ireland assumption of what home life is like. You, you've even mentioned yourselves; you have your own bedrooms. So that's that's um, that's a plus uh, to have any kind of uh, you know a, a, a safe, secure. Um, quiet space in order to study or learn that's that's a plus many people don't have that many people are living in over situations there might be young children uh, around the place there can be issues at home there can be addiction issues at home there can be um a lot of pressures and this is all magnified in a covid situation where people are are, are encouraged to stay back in, in in the home space i'm talking to second level principals who say that 60 percent of their students are working off uh, smartphones so um I I think this is a, an opportunity for us to take stock of the reality of uh, of what of what COVID has exposed, uh, and then to ensure that um, that we fix these things once once we get get out of this, because there can be a tendency once the crisis is over to go well that was terrible, let's just go back to where we were. Well, going back to where we were really really isn't isn't good enough and you know for a lot of families you know people in my generation um, you know have, having kids at home the whole time uh, it's difficult that teachers are doing their best and, and doing their best and trying to trying to you know teach remotely but you always feel as if you're not you're, you're not doing enough um, so from from the Leaving Cert perspective um, I mean, we mentioned the World Cup programs earlier. I did my Leaving Cert during a World Cup, and I taught—we all taught—that the universe is conspiring against us. I know I've said it a few times, but I'm reminded of it because we felt really strongly about it at the time. I don't know how uh, you could study for an exam with a global pandemic, with a with a, a death count rising every day, with an infection rate rising every day, and, and then not expect to say something uh, about it. So, um, so yeah, it's been it's been really, really, really tough, and I think it's important for people to say it's been really really tough because it has been really really tough and it continues to be really really difficult and everybody is is struggling.
3: Thank you very much Aeon. I now have a question for Calum. Um, As a Leaving Cert 2021 student, what have you heard from other students and their current situation? How are they finding it you know learning from home?
5: Definitely. So I think there's a, like it, it's definitely a multifaceted issue. This the leaving cert this year in particular. Um, but I suppose there's there's two main points. Is number one like the the amount of time we've actually missed from the classroom and the disproportionate impact that's have across the board. Like a, like I said earlier, like I'm I'm incredibly lucky that I have my own computer and I have somewhat decent Wi-Fi out here in Limerick. Um, but a lot of people don't, and a lot of, like Adon Elon said, a lot of people don't even have uh, a, a computer, a, a phone to do it, but as well, they don't have a safe space to do that. And people even have to share devices in, in one room and you're, you're looking at seven different classes at a time. And it's it's highlighted the inequality that our education system has um, and access to education should never be an issue in a, in a country like ours. Um, so definitely that is, is probably the, the number one issue. But as well as that, I feel it's an issue that's been hopped over is the mental duress of students um, and the severe impact and the lasting impact this will have on the cohort of students this year and the cohort of students last year. Um, like taking a quick look at uh, an RTE study that was done in the Leaving Cert class of 2020, 46% of post students reported heightened levels of stress and anxiety due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, and on top of that, being expected to, to sit a, a set of exams or some sort of procedure or system that is uncertain and and still hasn't been provided with with clear and specific details on um, is going to have a a more significant impact on this year's um, and on on this year's cohort of students and I know even myself like I I, I'm quite lucky where I'm in a position where I do have like family around me that support me but it's it's definitely a difficult one like I've I've found it days where I just find it difficult to turn on the computer and study because it's just like oh my god like what we're in a rolling cycle of yo-yo, as it's being called, like pandemic restrictions. I, I'm not being able to meet my friends. I'm not even going to school anymore, so I don't get to mix with anyone And I'm sitting behind the computer um, attempting to, to prepare myself for a set of exams that might not even happen come June. So it's definitely been a difficult one, and I know that's shared with a lot of people. Now, I know it's welcome that there was finally announcement um, after lots of pushing from students on the ground and, and the union themselves. So that was very welcome, but... You know, it's important that they follow up quickly with the specifics um, and that there is no uncertainty because if we're to sit this exam and we're to be given a, an accredited grade system, as they're calling it, there needs to be clear details and it needs to be made very clear to people how they will be examined. The algorithm needs to be published. There needs to be an audit into last year's system, what went wrong, how we can improve that. And we need to make sure that we have all bases covered because it's unfair, like we saw last year, to see a cohort of students um being unfairly treated and being given grades that, they, that, they, that were, they were wrongly given um. so it's important as well that we do protect teachers in that so yes in a roundabout way there's a lot of issues faced with students at the minute but um, it's important that we have an empathetic approach and an understanding to, to all the issues that are faced.
3: And do you think that's going to affect students then going on to college? Do you, like, do you have plans to go on to college and also do you think you'll even be on the campus?
5: see that's the thing um with the uncertainty around like this point inflation that everyone's talking about with the cao um i know for a fact that many of my friends have have put down a course that has less points because they don't believe that they're going to achieve what they will and because it's so uncertain then they haven't been given the opportunity to actually test themselves in class so i think it's definitely having an impact like these are our formative years as young people from 15 to 18 is is the formative years of your life where you develop so many values you develop your coping mechanisms with challenges you face and and we're 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 out of the classroom and we're not given those opportunities and we're we're left on our own unless like there's there's incredible mental health supports around the place but but people aren't aware of a lot of those and it's all about supporting each other and it's very hard to support each other when you're so far away from people and so definitely this is this is definitely having an impact on on people's future decisions and what they might do in future especially with third level education.
1: Uh, So now I have a general question for all of you so I'll go through each of you when we get to it so working from home now has become a big possibility for a lot of companies worldwide with a good percentage of their workforce that potentially could be working from home permanently they could be altering their jobs to be doing that so do you think that Online school could become a norm now post-COVID. Could, you know, uh being l- learning from home be something aside from uh, you know, being in- in-person school. There are online college courses already that are just solely online, nothing in person. So do you think possibly secondary schools could be very similar to that? I might start with Alicia for that.
4: It's a tough one because like we're not set up to be online, like secondary school or third level really isn't set up to be 100 online now in saying that um a lot of the online stuff at third level is very beneficial like being able to watch back a lecture if you miss one being able to watch back like i know some of my my tutorials are recorded um and being able you know and being able to slow down the recording like i mean there's definitely uh pros to it being online i mean obviously significant cons but I know that there's already talks in UCC and I'd imagine all over the country of uh some of the stuff being kept up actually uh post-COVID and like so, some of those things being used and um yeah moving towards I suppose that space which I mean I suppose like we nearly should be moving towards some sort of um online version I'm not saying everything should be online um in terms of secondary school like I think that's a whole different ball game um and I think um like with third level and second level there's just way too many differences uh to say that there should they should all have bits online um and I think again like I mean you're looking at like massive discrepancies between someone who's living at home and someone who's maybe moved away from home for college or something like that so um for third level I think definitely things will stay I mean there's already talks about it for second level I think we're a long long way from ever even thinking about moving stuff online um to like i think learning online obviously stuff is already put up but definitely learning online i think we're a long way away
1: yes yeah, so um connor then what do you think then you're doing a uh, media now in Dunleary. so do you think that's going to stay online do you want to be going back actually into the college what what's your view on it
0: Well to give you a bit of context from the beginning of the year since September uh, even during the level 5 lockdown that was there I was attending physical classes uh, purely because uh, it was a PLC course with a small number of students and the course was very hands-on practical so the college was able to facilitate that and I have had the experience of being up there and it's very niche what I'm studying uh, so and it has a very practical element to it. So long term view, like I, I would hope, I would be hoping with the, with please God, with this vaccination program, like you're doing, uh, to be able to do any projects. Uh, with physical contact, I mean, uh, like film production, uh, to be able to go out and shoot places with people. I know we can do interviews over Zoom, but it's probably going to be a blended learning style in regards to that sort of uh, that sort of course. But what Alicia was saying there about second level, um, I think that if second level uh, education were to move to completely online, there is a big difference between somebody uh, that is at that stage of life where they're pursuing a third level course and somebody that is growing up and i think that a complete move uh, to online learning would become would would set a very anti-social uh, precedent and aeon you probably will be able to attest to this uh, from your teaching experience uh, and i've something i've heard you say repeatedly that um you know just getting kids into school can be a challenge, and school really in the modern day becomes this refuse for uh, students that uh, are experiencing backgrounds where there uh, is is troubled homes, and it's not a learning environment that is either safe or conducive to their learning. So, I mean, school. Apart from that function, it also provides the function of literally, like you said, formative years, developing social skills and critical life learning uh, lessons, whether we like it or not. Uh, The good days, but also the bad days, they're what, uh, you know, teach us those lessons and, you know, build our backbone, really, you know. So I would be very interested to hear what you think of that, Aeon.
2: Um, yeah, um, look, I, I think in, in the workspace, it's very, it's very different for somebody of my generation. If you're in your 40s or 50s, your, your home life is kind of settled. You've, you've been through that period of meeting everybody uh, and, and working from home is, is maybe a nice idea. Um, on your own terms, there is an issue about, you know, when you can switch off. Like, when are you no longer working? When can you stop answering an email? And in a space which is very, very kind of competitive, you know, and said, like, well, I sent you a text at 9pm at uh, and you didn't respond to it. And if you're, you know, let's say you're a younger worker, like you're 18, 19, 20, and you feel like, well, if, in order to get advancement, I'm going to have to be on all the time. And also when you're younger, you know, you're not settled, your home space isn't settled, and, and, and you need that interaction with people, that human interaction to grow all right it's not all about the bloody economy it's actually about being a person it's about being a human being and human beings interact with each other and there has to be a way of doing that Um, so there's a there's a balance there we have draft legislation actually about the right to switch off because there is a, a, a pressure on young workers to to feel as if they're they're always working they're always available because they want to they want to advance at second level i'd be interested in what alicia is saying about you know the ability to catch up uh, if you if you're out because you're unwell, if, you, if there's something going on in your life, and, and you have something that maybe could have been recorded or or help you to to interact with the school on, uh, on that basis, but no, I'd be I'd be very very reluctant to go down a road where this would be a, a replacement. I mean, what's happened, What we're doing now is a replacement. It is the social interaction. It's 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 the fights and scraps you get into. It's the it's the heartbreak you go through. It's the it's the friends you make it's the teams you, you, that you join, it's the teachers that you like and don't like, it's the stories you tell for the rest of your lives. I didn't particularly enjoy secondary school, I'll be frank with you, and I used to kind of wince when people said they were the best days of your life, because for me they weren't, but you have to go through that and you have to learn that uh, and you learn more about yourself. Um, and there comes a time when you just want to get out of your of, of, of your home environment and be yourself. I mean, you will find yourself being a very different person in around your family than you are in around your friends, uh, in around your teachers. Uh, when you go into workspace, you, t- you, you kind of talk differently. And sometimes, you know, when you're interacting with somebody who's known you as a child, it's difficult to interact with them as an adult. And uh, and I find this even if I meet a teacher of mine who taught me when I was in school, I still kind of revert back to the 10 to the year old me or the 15 year old me. So you have to be a person in your own space in charge of your own destiny. And look, if school becomes just about leaving certain Points and becoming a unit, in, in, in the economic model, well then we failed because it's not about that, it has to be about much more and that again goes back to the conversation we have to have about what is education about, what is school for, what are we trying to produce because um, lots of people don't fall into this into the school system, they feel it doesn't reflect them. So uh, so look, while it can be a good substitute in an emergency, um, it's not a replacement.
1: Uh, Caelan, I might come to you next. What do you think then? Do you think online school might become a norm?
5: I think it ties back straight to our, uh, our earlier conversation around the disparity in, and the disadvantage faced by individuals and families and people in our education system, um, whether it's uh, a student with a special educational needs, whether it's a student from a socioeconomic disadvantaged background. Um, like I think they need to be at the forefront of this discussion and um, because it's important that, that like no one is left behind like we 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 often tie back to the sustainable development goals um, from the united nations and the whole premise of that is that no one is left behind and i think it's important in anything that we do um, that no one is left behind and that the people directly affected by those situations are at the forefront um, and they're given the place to actually speak about us because um, like I know I'm I'm in a fortunate position now where I can say yeah like if this goes on for another six months I can I can manage it and I can sit my leave and serve from home but there's people that can't, um so I think it's definitely interesting to look at a hybrid model um I think when we look at like wider conversations around um around climate and environmental issues, uh whether travelling to school every day and um, whether everyone travelling to school every day is sustainable. I don't think so. I think we can definitely look at adaptations to that. Um, and like Edon said, that it's not, um, it's not, how can I word this? It's not like an adaptation or a replacement, that it's actually an add-on and that we're developing things that support everyone. Um, and I think like what we've seen over the past two years, especially in the education sector, is that it's reactivity. I and mean, what we really need is to implement a system that's proactive, like, if we're going to look at the Leaving Cert in particular, like, it's 96 years old, lads. Since 1925, we've had the same set of exams. Um, it's a stagnant exam. It's outdated. It's a memory game. It's rote learning when it comes to things like like poetry. Like, I love poetry. I can tell you that from the bottom of my heart, I quite enjoy poetry. But I don't think I should be examined. I don't think my whole competency should be examined by, you know, Writing a four-page essay on Seamus Heaney, as enjoyable as it may be, it's not the ideal ideal way that we test competencies. So I think if we are looking to switch things online, and I know I've turned the conversation a small bit here, so I apologize.
2: Everybody's laughing on screen. I know people won't be able to see this in the podcast, but as soon as you said that, every single person who has been through the Leaving Cert this year or last year burst out laughing. And for me, by the way, Seamus Heaney is a very modern poet. <laughs> I just thought it was important to interject there and tell everybody that. I, I,
1: I think the funny thing is, though, that we never had to write the essay on Seamus Heaney, so thank God for that.
0: <laughs> but all those grueling hours of memorising quotes, we, we just all got collective PTSD flashes there. That's what that was.
2: Well, WBH didn't have the decency to turn up in my exam. And he was the only poet I, I, I studied because he came up every second year. Anyway. Sorry, sorry, for, sorry for moving us off no, all no, scripts no, I was, there. I was,
5: I, was, I was rumbling there, I was rambling there a small bit. But yes, I think if we are going to uh, turn, and, and I love that that made everyone laugh, because that it, it's, it's kind of, it, I think it's bad that we can laugh at the major issues, because we do need to solve them, they need to be solved for so long. But um, if we are to look to turn to um, working from home and moving school online, that we need to put in those things in place that we're we're testing people properly and that the supports are there and the people that are most affected aren't forgotten.
2: Can I, can I just say one quick further thing on that? The very first political campaign I ran was in, in 2004. I became a, a city councillor and it's called the Right to Read campaign. the, basic, the basically it was inspired by the fact that a huge number of children uh, do their homework on the stairs. They do their homework lying on their bellies in the front room. There can be a television on. I've mentioned children before. Uh, there can be in a lot of local authority flats or houses there, there isn't the physical space for a desk in the bedroom because it's about you know it's about uh, fitting people into in, into a small space as possible in certain certain instances and that's changed now but so the idea was that the council would have a much bigger role in providing spa- spaces for children to, to do their homework uh, and to learn, and the local authority library was big, a big part of that. And if you go into libraries uh, these days, any evening, you'll see a lot of, uh, of young people, a lot of them from international backgrounds, a lot of them from disadvantaged backgrounds, this is the only space they get in order to study. So. You know there can be again a kind of a a middle ireland view of of, of what education is really like or a middle class view of what education is like i hear sometimes people say why can't you just do the orals through zoom and that kind of comment makes my brain want to explode it's like you're just assuming that everybody has a nice safe space in their house with a a, a laptop uh, and and headgear uh, and all the software available to do it to do an oral examination that just is completely you know it, it's 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 such an ignorant remark and um, but it's it's just kind of thrown out there and people kind of nod and, and 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 scratch their chins and say well that's that's actually something you should be able to do so um you know the home place it, it is also though where where a lot of learning has to be done and you want to empower parents to be able to empower children and um, but they you know you, you have to build a, a bridge between the, the school and the home um, but but also within the school building, it's, it's, it's where relationships are forged and, and, where, uh, and where your identity actually come, comes to the forefront as well. So there's, there's certainly a balance to be struck.
1: Now, my next question is for all of you. It's a general question. So Hall Martin said last week that there will potentially be nine more weeks of lockdown, with hospitality potentially not opening until mid-summer. So as a result, is March 1st still a likely opening date for schools? I might start off with eight on there.
2: I wish, it, I wish it was, but see, we can't divorce the opening school argument with the with the wider suppression of the virus argument. It's as, it's as if everybody wants to say, well, it's a separate conversation, but well, it isn't. It's it's the same conversation. And I know education, in fairness to, to government and to Michael Martin and to the Minister of Education, it is a top priority for them to to reopen schools again and get people back in schools again. You can only do it by agreement, but it's not separate to the wider issue and we still have stubbornly high infection rate numbers every day and uh, we've had um, a very high debt rate since christmas uh, and it's very different now than it was in september we re- reopened in september thanks to teachers and and students and and sna's working together in school communities but we now have variants that weren't as infectious and weren't as deadly than they were in, in september so we can't we can't divorce the two things i i i, I I wish it was possible. Uh, I hope it to be possible. I, I hope for schools to be open and for them to, to remain open. Because again, why would we open schools for two weeks and then for them to close again? We are advocating though for a catch-up fund, a, a, a fund like in the UK they have a billion euro, billion pounds for um, uh, for focusing on young people and children who have been most most badly affected by uh, by lack of in-school learning. So we need to talk about that as well. It's not just reopen the schools and in you go and everything's okay. It's it's about uh, how do we address the damage that was caused. We have to talk about ventilation in a lot of all school buildings. We have to talk about overcrowded classes because we've got the, some of the highest, you know, uh, highest um, rates of the uh, highest class sizes if I like in Europe. And we have to talk seriously about vaccination for those working in schools, they're now 11.11 on the scale They should really be moved up to key workers, because if if, if opening schools is a priority. Uh, well, then we need to, we need to vaccinate those who are who are going to make it work and that's teachers, SNAs, caretakers, school secretaries, the entire school community, um, so that we open and we stay open.
1: Now I might come to Alicia next. So, Alicia, do you think even if the reopening of schools was phased and it was year group by year group in both secondary and primary school, is March first a realistic date, or should it be further down the line?
4: Um. Yeah, I I do think the March first is realistic for um some students to go back. Definitely not everyone. Um, and definitely has to be a very spaced out phase by phase basis, completely pending on public health and no ifs or buts about it. Like, we shouldn't be taking chances here. Uh has to be like, I know that we can never have anything concrete anymore with COVID, but if there's any slight chance, um, it's not worth it. And that's been our, you know, at ISSU, that's been our whole message. Um, in the advisory group meetings, when we spoke to political spokespeople, when we spoke to the minister, we said, you know, there's nothing here worth risking uh, students' health. Um, there's there's nothing worth that. Um, and I think as well, like we would have heard from a lot of students on the ground, you know, schools are doing their best, teachers are doing their best. But like, if you're in a school with hundreds, possibly over a thousand students, you know, how possible is it to have you know, this social distancing that we talk about, you know, on the ground, I do think that how maybe we view it uh, externally is, is not, you know, maybe exactly how it does happen in reality, because it's a school at the end of the day. Um, people are on top of each other. I remember walking down the hall and roaring at first years, telling them to move out of my way. So, you know, I think there's a realisticness as well to what actually happens in schools, and that's true no one's fault. That's just how schools are. Um, and I think, you know, it goes against our, like, mentality at the moment to walk into a building with a hundred or possibly a thousand students. I mean, we're not even allowed to go past five kilometers. We're not allowed to meet anyone outside our household. Um, So I do think, even though maybe on paper it's safe, I think it goes against everything we've kind of been told over the last 12 months, just in our own heads, uh, to walk into a building with kind of nothing but a mask. Um, I know for myself, like, I would be quite, I would be weary of it and students more. And we said to the department, we said, "Look, you can keep telling us it's as safe as you want." Public public health came in and showed us the paper. We said, "A piece of paper isn't going to change uh, fear. Uh, nothing can do that. Only um the numbers of cases and 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 the number of deaths that are happening." And I said, "It doesn't matter. No matter what we say, students don't feel safe, and that's the bottom line. It doesn't really matter what a piece of paper says at this point about school transmissions."
1: And, uh, Calum, then. Uh... I don't I don't know if I, I don't know how it's working with uh your with your year if, if you're going back into school now. Um I, I I presume you are because then leaving cert is still optional, you could still do the exam. But um are you confident then March first you could potentially be in? I would I would assume that the leaving cert group would be the priority to get in first. Well, even from speaking to my teachers today, I know five of them went in today and started prepping
5: classrooms for, for six years to return on the first of March. Um, and I think there's two factors to this. That, number one, that it's safe to return to schools and that it's fully safe, that, that we can have, like Aon said, the, the proper ventilation, that there is the spacing between students, that there is the proper precautions put in place, that everyone can be sa- kept sa- safe in the environment. But as well, and probably more important, is that people feel safe in school. And um, because it's one thing, like we said, like that, that that it's safe, it's a safe and schools are a safe environment. I think was Minister Foley's go to line. Um, and I think she was asked in every interview about it, and that was all that could be said around it. And um, so it's important that people are given the confidence that it is safe and, and they're shown that it's safe. Because I, I'm going to go back to Seamus Heaney you now because I do think he's a modern pole as well. I don't. But as he said, um. You can't change the world through poetry, but you can change people's understanding of the world. And I think if it's properly communicated and it's properly shown how schools are safe environments and how students, teachers and their families will be kept safe, then I think it's it's feasible. But I I, I can't see us returning in the next week, to be to be quite frank about it. Like I I don't see how, how we can do it with the with the level we're at, with the death toll we're at, with the new confirmed cases we're at, with the variants, Um I really don't see it happening, but Again, like Alicia said, I don't want to speculate. Um, I'm not a public health expert. I'm not Minister for Education. I'm just a student on the ground. And I have to make that personal decision if the, de- if the decision is made that we have to return.
1: Um, I, I could really see your love for poetry there. That's your second reference to Seamus Heaney now. Uh, <laughs> right. I, 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 I get, I, I, you must be a poet now at this point. You're, you're going to become a poet. I can see it. Um... Nobel laureate. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you never know. Nobel laureate, Calem Hederman, you just never know. Um, we'll, we'll look back in 30 years' time and see what happens, you know. We should make a time capsule of this, you know, and see what happens.
0: I knew that guy. I was in a Zoom call with that guy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> exactly. We, we saw this, like, you know, in action here. We saw this shame sceney love here. So um, let's move on then to the leaving search. Um, so before we get into what was announced last week... I think it might be best to kind of look back a little bit on what's happened in the past while. So Aon. M um... On the six one last week, you compared the Department of Education's handling of this year's leaving Cert to its functional school Debs committee, and um, I know I was, expe-
2: I, was ex- I was expecting a flood of uh, emails from uh, disgruntled Debs committee uh, members. Well, I don't know. When I was in school, your first brush with uh, with uh, you know uh, corruption or rumours of corruption <laughs> was with the uh, with the Debs committee. You know, rumours of people running off with the money, uh, being at a Debs and the bus didn't show up. Or buses didn't mm-hmm. show up. Um, you know, one member of the devs committee arriving with a particularly nice tux, and you're wondering mm, mm, that kind of thing. That kind of thing. Yeah, I'm assuming it's still going on because the 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 it wasn't from me, by the way. There was a a, a young woman in in who uh, was the first mm-hmm. person to to tweet it, uh, so I kind of robbed it and used it on tele. So that, anyway, you sorry. Your cre- your you. question your question was. <laughs> Yeah,
1: and that's actually what I was going to ask. Was this comparison coming from personal experience of being on a deb's committee? Or... No,
2: although I do remember being on a deb's and the buses didn't show up and it was murder. And of course, ladies and gentlemen, before the mobile phone, we all had to. There was like one call phone in the in Club Ninety Two in Leperstown, and the one guy was on it, and we're all shouting our names at him, and they you know trying to get taxis back to back to wherever people were going Um, look I I think from the Leaving Cert thing um, what people can't handle is just the uncertainty and the rumour mill that's what's really really disappointing and having been through last year which was last year was like almost a kind of a this time last year, the pandemic really hadn't hit in a, in, a, in a big way. People were still at school at this point last year. Okay, It wasn't until Patrick's Day that that, that the big announcements began to be made. Uh, and it wasn't until April or May. Uh, or sorry, it wasn't until March, the schools were off, and then the decision was made around April, May, but not having an even cert. So it came much later. Um, but even at that, you know, we were promised in October that there would be a review of Leaving Cert 2020. We had been through the whole thing, the whole mess, the whole mistakes, the mistakes in the grading, the delay of the Leaving Cert uh, results until the seventh of September, the fact that there was three, three errors in 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 the calculation, and then the campaign about school profiling, which we eventually won at the very last minute. So we said, let's have a review, please, independent review of what went wrong, so we can learn for the future. And that was what we asked for, and that's what we got. That was we, the agreement that we got, but it never took. Place because the department says, "Well, sure, why would you have a review until the entire thing is finished, which includes November exams and the and the Leaving Cert results of that came, when they came out in February." And our view is different. You can start the independent review and then sort of have an interim report around Christmas time, which tells us exactly what went wrong with the calculations and, and how the issue how the company was procured and all that. So we kind of went into this cycle of decision making blind of, of any real answers or learnings from last year. Um, But in fairness to the the, 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 Union students, the ISSU, um, who have just proven to any young person who ever needs to be told or or, or is interested that it doesn't matter who you are or how old you are or how much education you have or your background or what you look like or your religion or your ethnicity or or anything. You don't need to be a TD or a minister or a senator or a councillor or a president or a king or a queen. If you have an argument and you believe in it, and you're willing to pursue it, and you're willing to convince people, nothing you can't achieve. And it's only because of the advocacy of the students that the system changed, uh, and choices put on the table. And look, it's not going to be perfect. What we did last week when the um, when the announcement came out was to immediately be positive about it, because there's a lot of negativity going around in people's in people's lives. The last thing you need from an opposition politician is to say, well, pff, this isn't good enough, or this isn't, you know, not everything is perfect. I think we just needed to go right. We, we, we have a process now, Choices in that process. It's not, you know, teacher unions came out and said something that evening, and there's another, you know, interview the next morning, which kind of put, put people a little bit, made people a little bit nervous. But on the, on the whole, uh, we have a process that, that delivers choice for students, and we can work through the other issues uh, as we uh, as we go through. We probably would have done it different as a political party. We probably would have made the decision earlier, but it, it is very much about bringing people with you. You know, um, so again, I'll repeat it: we now uh, it's the responsibility of all of us uh, to make sure that next year's cohort don't go don't go through this, and that we don't repeat this leaving search. We don't cling to this leaving cert as a model forever, you know. Now's the time to say, Joe, you know something. If we were starting again, if we had a blank sheet of paper and said, right, we're going to put a we're going to put a leaving cert, we're going to design a kind of an end of end of year exam or a, a, a sort of a, a senior cycle process. What would it look like? You wouldn't come up with what you have at the moment. You know, it's um, it's as stressful now as it was when I did it. Uh, it's it's anonymous and fair on one level, but it's brutal, and it doesn't. Give any indication really of what the person is and what the person's capabilities are. Uh, it, it has no room for beauty. It has no room for poetry. It is no, in, you know, in 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 the proper sense. It has room for grind and rote learning. And the only thing it proves is how good you are at the leaving cert. It doesn't prove anything else. And we need to radically overhaul that.
3: I now have a question for Alicia. And we also need to
2: radically oh, overhaul Deb's committee. Sorry, that's the thing no, I was going to
3: say. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have a question out for Alicia. Um, last week the ISSU welfare officer Matthew Ryan said it would be preferred that the exams take place around the same time as they usually would, the 9th of June. Um, what do you think? Do you think this will happen, you know, considering the restrictions?
4: First, I'd like to say I was not on my devs committee. Uh, I just like to put that out there. I was asked and I said, hell no, get me away from it. Um, do I think the exams will go ahead in normal timetable? Uh, yes, I, I believe they will happen to a normal timetable. Um, I think because like, I will as well say, I don't think from being in the room, although ideally, we had planned for such a situation to happen with COVID, which, you know, some people might say it was predictable. Um, But, you know, all the new strains, like literally eight months after COVID began, um, you know, who could have, well, maybe there was people predicting it, but I suppose for ourselves anyway, it was a difficult one to predict. And in terms of the, I know from being in the room, there was no way a decision would have happened any earlier than it did from that, the way that situation actually occurred anyway. Um, but in terms of the exams itself, like, I think we have to remember that every year the State Examinations Commission run the exams and they typically run a second round of exams in July for students who have bereavements um, around the time of the first sitting. Um, but now they're trying to run a, an accredited grades process as it's now known and run the exams and, and also was doing that during COVID. Um, and, you know, like we're not unlimitedly resourced either. Um, and I suppose to p- try and push out the exams. And then um, there's a period of time where students' students' best results um, from whether it's sitting the exams or the accredited grades, which could differ in many, many ways. You know, you could sit one exam, three exams, five exams um so that all has to be um you know taken from the sec and put into the cao on your behalf your best results so there's actually a lot of um you know there is a lot of time it's not like the exams end and then you just get the results you know there's the marking time as well which could take longer with covid even though they've moved a lot of stuff online more so than in previous years, but still papers, you know, those conferences they have, I'm sure Aon knows more than I do about them in detail, but where they go through the marking schemes, it's all incredibly more difficult online, just as anything is. So it's going to take longer. We were told it would take three to four weeks for them to actually um be able to prepare for the exams to start, um, and then two months for the accredited grades process from start to finish. Um and so that's not a very long time considering. We're nearly in the 1st of March now, um, you know, and it's kind of ironic, actually, because all we were hearing was there's loads of time. This is too early. Um, and now we're in a situation where you know students actually can't get their accredited grade before their exams, which is obviously what we would have been advocating for. But it's simply not possible because I do think there was a period of time not by the department, but other stakeholders just kicking the can down the road. Um and now we find ourselves it's not the worst situation. We got we did achieve choice. Um, but I do think if uh, if if I suppose if if we had been a bit more aware and a little less ignorant, um students would have been able to have it before. Um so I do think that's a bit disappointing. But uh, I think look students will have the best of their results, and I think that's that's a fair solution, I do think.
1: Um so now another question for all of you then. So of course, the main word that we've heard for the past few months for all the campaign- campaigns to find out what's happening is clarity. Like, it's just been clarity is all I've heard. I don't think I've heard any other word this year than clarity. So what I want to know from all of you is, 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 is the clarity here now? Is 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 that done? Do, do we now know what's going on, or is there still stuff yet to be finalised? Is there still stuff still in the blurry end of it, if you get me? So... Is there still is there clarity now? I'm going to ask Calum since, you know, he is doing the Leaving Cert this year.
5: I think from what we've seen last week is there's been a decision made and there has been a decision agreed upon by educational stakeholders, but there isn't any specifics. Like I'm, I'll give you one example. Like I'm a, I'm a PE student and I'm an economics student. I had my projects due back on the 18th of December, I think it was, then it was pushed out to January. Then it was pushed out to February and I was supposed to send it in from the 8th to the 12th to a portal. Um, and I still haven't received my 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 exam number. I haven't exa- received any guidelines on how to upload it. Um, and it's the 22nd of February now. So there's definitely a lot of specifics still to be worked out. So I think the exam timetable coming out is, is quite good. But I think what students are worried about right now is what the accredited grade system is going to be based on. Is it going to be past results? Is it going to be a set period of four weeks where we do exams in school if we're back in school? Is it going to be a mocks mixed with junior cert? Is it going to be, like, I know they've ruled out teacher um, ranking and uh, school profiling as well, but what is it going to be? And I think it's, it's only fair to students and to teachers as well that they know what it is because I know if we return next week, what it's going to be is going to be weekly assessments in every subject so that teachers know that they have uh, results there to base it on because right now there is no guideline and I think it's really important we communicate that so in terms of clarity I don't I, I don't know have we fully received clarity yet I think we've definitely received a decision um, and I think it's like like if you're looking into the fog it's kind of going away but it's still there and um, so I I'm look I, I look forward to seeing the specifics into what it actually what way we will actually be examined.
3: Um, I have a question now for Connor. Um, considering the situation of the Leaving Cert twenty twenty and the Leaving Cert for twenty twenty one, what do you think? What do you think they're going to do? Like in the comparison, do you think there is much of a difference, or what, what? What's your opinion on it?
0: Well, everything that has just been said, um, that word blurriness, um, that has really been circulating in my head. Um, I mean, what's blurry is how simply this. You know, we had promised that this wouldn't happen again this year. And uh, Minister Foley has, you know, been committed to learnings, as is correctly said. But then we again, as Aeon has assessed the uh, uh, reappraisal of what happened yesterday, it never came through. So is there an actual uh, willingness to learn there? Personally, I don't think so. I think that the Minister's commitment to learnings is simply this indignation after the complete circus that was yesterday and yes I'm, I'm using that word um. and I feel like the blurry side is that uh, yeah we said okay this won't happen this year but here we are you know that's what's blurry to me and the fact that uh, all, all the crack went down with the errors last year that absolutely made a mockery of it uh, and here we are you know it's like they're providing certainty for a mess that they created and it's like well where's the where is the proactivity? Like you said, we had so much time to figure this out. Um, if we were going to require this solution um, of calculated grades this year, it wasn't done. There was no proactivity. So in terms of learnings, that's what's blurry to me. Uh,
1: so now we asked for our uh, listeners to submit questions as well. Um, so the first question I have actually comes from a guy called Murish. He actually happens to be in our college course. So it was kind of an easy way in. So... This is for all of you, and we'll see uh, who will go to it. But um, he asks, why do you think the departments didn't have any contingency plans months ago? Since, this, I'm quoting here, COVID wasn't going to go away. A plan was needed. So if they, need, if they faced more school closures, they'd have something to fall back on. I think the example we have is the UK, where when they announced that schools were going to be closed in January, they immediately cancelled the A-levels and the GCSEs immediately and now we're here in the middle of February and they've only cancelled them now so do you you think they should have really had contingency plans in case this happened again and I'm going to ask um, uh, Alicia for this.
4: Do I think there should have been a contingency plan I mean obviously yes the difference is with Scotland and the UK and Northern Ireland is that first of all the controversy that happened here last year and Almost a scandal um, of you know people getting the wrong results and then all of these different and the the, the kind of the political conversation about school profiling, which was was very justified. Um, and it's important to say they just said they're cancelled. They didn't tell students what was going to happen. I'm not saying either version of um, the communication is better, but I think if they've if they've learned anything from last year. Um, and the whole issue with the the court cases is that the minister said something and then the minister didn't um didn't uh didn't um achieve that you know she said that everyone would get a fair process and all this and then students didn't so if they've learned anything it's that the communication if anything there's been less communication um as we know and and some of that is is obviously bad but some of it is 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 smart Uh, maneuvering because last year it was the communication that caught them the early communication that happened which then they had to backpedal on and then ended them up getting getting thrown up in court over the things they said months and weeks before they ever came to a decision so i think it's important to say i'm not saying either one is right um you know there's better ways probably of doing it i'm no political expert but you know say you know in uk they said they're cancelled they didn't say what's going to happen next so I suppose up until this point, students were of the, you know, in terms of motivation that the exams will go ahead, whether that's unreasonable or whether it's unrealistic is another conversation. But, you know, if you're if you're mentally like the exams are going ahead until that point that that has changed, you're focused slightly. I know it's very difficult. and I'm not saying it's easier, but I suppose just saying the exams are cancelled and not knowing what's going on, I think is almost a worse um situation and like I, I won't compare the years of 2020 and 21 but I suppose at least 2021 have the opportunity to sit the exams and not wait a year um even if which I hope it's not even if the accredited, accredited grades process is a total mess at least you have the opportunity to sit unlike you know some of my friends who didn't get the results they deserved um, and and have to wait a whole year of their lives, which is just it's wrong. Like you should have the right to sit. Um, so I think at least at least that's happening. And as well, just on the guidelines, there there is guidelines coming from the department. And um, again, like it's a case of everyone having to agree, which we saw the disappointment from TUI and ASTI even to the announcement. And um, they were aware that was happening. So there there definitely will be guidelines coming um, in the coming I would say week or two less probably.
1: And um, Aeon, I remember when uh, there was kind of very low likelihood of schools closing back in, let's say, you know, like the third quarter of 2020, there was no kind of, you know, like there was no chance of that happening, everyone was saying. I still remember, like I have friends in sixth year now, and I was saying, haha ha, imagine having to do a leaving cert, imagine having to study for a leaving cert when we had basically no exams at all. And now it's looking like, you know, it's basically going to be the same as us last year. So do you think there should have really been contingency plans? Again, it's the same question as Alicia. Should there have been contingency plans there? Should there at least been an idea to students, if schools close, it's more than likely going to be calculated grades, exams, kind of what's been happening here, what's been decided here?
2: Yeah, there absolutely should have been. But I suppose the issue we have with the Department of Education, it's one of the more people can find it hard to get their head around the fact that department, governmental departments have personalities, but they do you know, the Department of Justice is very different to the Department of Health. They, they, they just have all these different sort of dynamics going on and, and, and legacy issues going on from, and the Department of Education has a certain conservative sort of feel about it. And, uh, and, and they are very, very strong on not getting involved. So um, traditionally, it wasn't until 1998 that we had, a, had an Education Act that actually sort of set out parameters about how schools should be run which is pretty recent, I know you don't think it's recent, but it is uh, in the overall history of the state, if you like. Uh, and, and they have fiercely kind of defended the, the, the gap between them uh, uh, and how schools are run. Okay, so we have a state-funded system. We don't have a state system. The UK can make a a pronouncement about how um, how things should be done with the state exam because they have a state system. We don't. We 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 farm it out to to, to patron bodies. We say you run that school and you run that school and we'll, you know we'll pay the teachers and 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 um, you know fund your buildings and stuff. But apart from that, it's kind of over to you. And there's there's high-ranking kind of you know, union organizers I know who say that the department of Education understands, understands two things teachers and buildings doesn't understand anything else doesn't have a feel for anything else like you know children or young people and and so that's what you're up against all right a conservative department that looks at the minister and goes well she'll be gone in a few years time um fiercely resistant to making a a a, a change that will cause a precedent Right, because in five, 10 years time, you know, they're gonna look at this decision and say, well, he he did it then, uh, and fiercely resistant to change. And that's part of the problem, you know? Um, There's a reason why uh, in the north of Ireland, they have free school books, and in the Republic of Ireland, we don't. Because the north of Ireland, the UK uh, education system is a hands-on department of education, ours isn't. Uh, And and it comes down to simple things like that. If you're from the north and you come and, and live in the Republic, you, you begin to scratch your, head, scratch your head as to why you have to put your hand in your pocket to pay for your kids' school books. Um, so, that's just an example I give us to, uh, uh, as to how institutionally the department really needs a shakeup. So, no, of course it didn't plan because, you know, uh, why, why won't they do something as radical uh, as, as plan for the very same thing to happen again? You know, um, there is an assumption that will open in March, I'm sure everything will be fine. Nobody knows what's going to happen if a new variant comes on the stream in April, May. Nobody can predict that. And the only contingency they actually have at the moment, and this was said at a meeting we have with them last week, is that on the basis of um, uh, uh, of, of uh, we asked them what, the, what is the contingency for such, such an eventuality in April or May, they said, well, everybody's getting a calculated grade. And that's the contingency. So that's the planning if you know if if the sh1t hits the fan in april and may and you can't go ahead with the written exams well then everybody's getting the calculated grade that's the plan but yeah well i would say in general look that there is a um a government commitment to hold the holding of a a constitutional convention or a citizens assembly on education and i think all of us have to grab that opportunity and shake up the Department of Education and the education system for once and for all and to put children back at the heart of it because and young people back at the heart of it and students back at the heart of it because none of these decisions will be made um, if students have been driving them and this is actually probably the first time this year and last year that students' voices actually drove something uh, from a national policy uh, perspective and it's really been a force for good so we need to make that a permanent.
0: Well I absolutely agree with you Eon, I think that you're bang on the money about young people having more of an influence than they did now i think it's partly because um we're digital natives and we're the people that can create that can create the loudest ruckus on the internet um. but that's not to say that we're a snowflake generation that you know advocate for things that are unrealistic um. and in terms of reform i i think that the system that is there it hasn't caught up in terms of evolution to be digitalized society that we have. So I'm coming at it from an angle close to my own heart of media. You know, it, we live in a multimedia reality, you know, and the, the really I, I think this, the digital aspect of it uh, is something that could completely be overhauled. And I mean, like, the first thing that we're taught when we go in day one is to forget this idea of a text that you're sold in secondary school of your Shakespeare's and your Steinbeck's. Because a text is a poster, a song, a poem, a film, a TV show. Ik And in terms of uh, people have these these notions, and that's what's in secondary school that, uh, the Steinbeck's and the Shakespeare's have more uh, influence than uh, you know the modern day rapper. You know, uh, it's a perfect example. Uh, if you could name an opera singer. Can you, or can you name a rapper? Who can you name uh, faster? And I, I feel like the system hasn't caught up to that, and the we need to definitely educate our young people in terms of digital literacy and just the IT experience that is out there because um, it's the reality we live in. But uh, I mean, there's a whole bubble of careers. Uh, the, in the current market, that the system doesn't fit, it doesn't suit, uh, it doesn't recognize that there's software development, there's video production, there's design. And because of that, all our creatives are kind of, you know, going down the swanee in the system. And they feel so aloof coming out of secondary school, you know? Like, I came out feeling like, Jesus, nobody really gets it. Like, nobody gets me. And uh, I find my place in my course. And that is probably one of the biggest critiques of this system, that people just come out feeling aloof.
2: Well, I might just say, just well, I mean, we tried to in 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 government change the junior certain. There's a lot of resistance to it, and 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 all this sort of, you know. Um, uh, terminology began and, and rhetoric began about us trying to, you know, ban history, this sort of stuff, you know, and and sometimes any sort of change in the education system there can be a huge re- reaction to it, resistance to it. And we did try to change the history curriculum because a huge number of, of young people were were falling out of history. There were there was fifty four thousand junior start students doing history, and then eleven thousand at the even cert. That's a massive drop. It's like an eighty percent drop off. But as soon as we tried to change the way that history was taught or learned or uh, or experienced. Huge resistance, and then you're on the back foot because, you know, politically people are saying, "Why are you trying to ban history? Why are you trying to downgrade history?" So no, we're not trying to downgrade anything. We're just oh, but it was compulsory before you started. No, it actually, it wasn't. It was only compulsory in fifty percent of schools. Oh, but that's that's not what the person. Be, well, yeah, you know, and then you're 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 explaining and you're explaining and you're explaining, and you can't actually talk to the the positive thing that you're you're proposing. Um, or, or that will be proposed. So I think if we were to do any kind of radical shake up, shake up again, we'd have to make sure we do it in a way that everybody understands the, the rationale behind it. If you want people to love history, um, well then surely having a system where 80% of people give up on it when they're 16, then it's failing, it's already failing. Um, but you know, you've all, you probably all heard that debate about downgrading history and history being banned and all that stuff. And then it makes people in politics go, well, why do we, bo- excuse me, why do we bother?
0: But it's, it's particularly relevant in the, the politics angle in when we're becoming such like a polarized uh, world, you know, fake news is on the rise, not to use that buzzword, uh, but I mean, young people have to be educated on uh, staying informed the right way um, so that we have, it, it would like have a knock-on effect, a net increase on the positives of society, uh, cyberbullying, online safety, all that sort of stuff, like.
2: Yeah, and, and there's also a conversation. Sorry, sorry, I'm cutting in here a bit, but there's also a conversation about how you campaign and how you influence, right? Do you create memes, be personally abusive of the minister, um, personally abusive of politicians, um, you know, single out individual political parties for abuse or criticism, or do you put the point of view to the fore and say, who wants to join? Who wants to join us on this platform with this point of view and and discuss it? And there's actually a lesson to be learned in how you campaign successfully because, you know, anybody can shout, anybody can make noise, you know, um, but it's about delivering something that has sustainable change in it, not just a knee jerk. And we all have to bite our lip. We all have to bite our lip all the time. But the way that you interact and you campaign for change is to do it in a way that you bring people with you, uh, that you don't give up uh, at the earliest opportunity, but you don't demonize or or, or dehumanize uh, the entity that you're trying to convince you know I, I saw some things written about certain government ministers and things online and memes and stuff that was just a little bit a little bit uncomfortable with, I have to be honest you know um, you, you, you're, you're not you, you, you're not working against these people these people aren't the enemy if you start to sign the person is an enemy well then that's not that's no way to, to to live your life or to or to interact with with any issue you know Um, And I think there's there's, there's a level of learning to be done there
4: too. like I can speak on that because we would have witnessed from the ISU perspective, like at the very beginning, when we were trying to navigate what was a very new political scene for us as an organisation and as people from the age range of 15 to 19. And a lot was expected of us and rightly so. Um, but we got our fair share maybe not as drastic as the minister for sure we got our fair share of abuse hurled at us um, very negative comments and it's uh, yeah I think you're so you're so right because I've been advocating since I was eight years old um, but properly since I was about 15 and I think there's a naive approach to how, how and like I would have had that approach when I was younger of like screaming and shouting and like stomping your feet and like obviously I think some of that as well comes from the climate movement which I would have which I am very involved in but like the striking as a whole striking being seen as like oh we'll just strike but striking is your last resort you go to the table you negotiate you 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 play you play diplomatically you play smart you're you're we we place politically savvy on it and then we come back and we reflect and and all things. So we would have seen, you know, petitions, striking protests, don't go to school, hurl abuse at your teachers. Like, I mean, that's last resort territory. Um, and that's obviously hard to communicate. And when people are rightly angry and frustrated um, at both the system um, and, and the government, but um, we would have had that. And it would have been quite difficult for me as someone who last year would have been very vocal, as I would imagine Connor was, um, but it's very different from the outside than it is from the inside. And something I've learned hugely. And someone actually said to me a few months ago and I didn't understand it, they said, you can actually sometimes get a lot more done from the outside than the inside. But I actually think it depends on how you do it. Um, and if you're in the inside and you have good intention and like you said earlier, you have a valid argument, I think you can get a lot done. And like, this is, this is just proof that, uh, that you can. Um, when, you know, we were the only people this is a fact. We were the only stakeholder coming to the table with pragmatic solutions, proposals, 30 pages, 30 page proposals in detail, timelines of how it would work. We suggested they give guidelines to teachers to support teachers in schools. Now they're doing that. You know, a lot of what we proposed and no one else was doing, everyone's giving out and but that's not possible. Well, like, let's make it possible. So I think you're right about the advocacy. I think if you there's I, I've certainly learned a lot about how to actually create meaningful change is what I'm calling it because anyone can stomp their feet and change someone's opinion even with like fake facts or fake news or whatever but being like you know respecting actually getting someone's respect first which is what we did we we gained respect and now it's it's turned on It's you know it's turned aside and and it's it's come out with what what exactly what we wanted essentially.
5: I might jump in there I suppose just from like I think Aon said it perfectly in the doll. there one day, it was that like the teachers aren't the enemies here and the students aren't the enemies, it's the virus that's the enemy. Um, and I suppose like in particular, like being, I suppose a leaving voice and this, like someone external, like I mean, in, I'm involved with the union, like I've worked with Alicia and, and others on things, but being someone like, like I, I was there as Caleb Hellerman leaving search student and receiving these things like, oh, let's strike, oh, will you share this abusive message about Norma Foley because you have somewhat of a platform? Like, I was in a position where I had to, like, try and de-escalate it, in a sense. Um, and, like, I completely resonate with, with what Alicia said there. Like, you know, it might have been seen that, that like, I was very fortunate to, to get, like, a position to actually, like, spread, spread whatever message it was I was spreading at the time. But like I, I got phone calls, like I, there was people putting my phone number in, in group chats and ringing me and on private numbers and stuff. And it's, it was like the, the abuse and the hate directed at individuals, at the unions, at the minister. It was just such a toxic environment. And like you say, like meaningful change is the only way it's at. And I remember everyone saying like, oh, you need to reach out to politicians or oh, you need to like jump on these consultation calls. And like that, like that was really meaningful. Like it was good. But at the end of the day, the people who decide on this decision are the policymakers, like the advisory group, the people within the room. And that was the message I was trying to get across to students. And it's it's very hard to say it when it's not the attractive thing to say. Like I remember coming out with my with my first uh, my first article on the whole leaving search there just end of December, start of January. And I was like, education is not a matter of life and death. And of course, that like people were clicking into that and looking at it. But when I'm there jumping on the radio and saying like, oh, we need to trust in the stakeholders and we need to stop like slaving politicians and public figures who are talking about this, like it's a very difficult thing to do. And like I said, it was one of my friends, Eric, he's he's probably one of the wisest people I know, and he said, this way. And he said it's very easy to succumb to emotions in times of crisis and the leaving certain situation a month ago was most certainly a crisis because there was another epidemic on the rise, the mental duress of students and teachers because of, they didn't know what was going on. But what was so important is that there was people there who actually kept a level head and they stuck in the room. Um, and unfortunately, we saw actions from ASTI in particular of walking out of the room. Um, like That's not a good example to be setting for, for students, looking on at a, a debate and probably, well, like I had friends who had never been anywhere interested in doll debates and they were tuning in for every question session with the Minister for Education. And I know I said that to Aon the last day and he was interested to hear that because, you know, that would be unheard of for, like, I, I remember I was live streaming it on my Instagram because people, so many people were asking it and I had about two people, 200 people tuning in every time I went live with it, with the debates. And it's, it's so important that people realize that there's a level-headed approach to this. And although politics obviously plays a major part in that education shouldn't be politicized, student well-being shouldn't be politicized, and the structures that we have there need to be trusted. And like now we have a solution on the table, thanks to the the advocacy works of so many different people that um, that works for a lot of people. And now we just need to iron out the details and trust in the process.
0: Calum, I think you said it wonderfully there and uh, summed it up really, really well. Um, when you're in the fortunate position of having the media's attention and this whole debate, and uh, I mean, it's so easy to become salacious or out there, and I really do applaud the ISSU. I applaud yourself, all the other fellow even certs that have t- taken that level-headed approach, like I did, because um, that's the only way you're going to create meaningful change. As Alicia correctly said, and um, because uh, this debacle, it's more than just sim- sound bites sound bites for radio stations to feed off uh the revenue model is uh, pit this person against each other and pit this person against them with an opposing view and get people texting in and make money from that from people being outraged uh, it's certainly not that and uh, what i would like to advocate for and what we collectively all do is uh for the uh real world on the ground work meaningful change um and that absolutely feeds into what we're saying here proud to have been a part of that army <laughs>
1: So, um, yeah, actually that they're all very good points. And I have to say, it's very important that we have to student activism now more than ever. And as you know, you were all saying, you know, we shouldn't really pit two people against each other. Like this, this is children's futures we're talking about here. This is also children's mental health that we're talking about here as well. That like, you know, they're, they're here in the middle, like trying to get something done. And then everyone's like, you know, oh, what about this? What's going to happen here? You know, like, it, it's not the right way to do. It's not, not the right way to handle it. It really isn't. And, uh, but
2: you can't make an argument about mental health and then abuse. Yeah. You know, you I can't know you say mean. again. My my mental health is being is being hurt by this by this process. Hmm. But by the way, here's a whole lot of abuse I'd like to hand uh, to somebody yeah. else. Then you're just that that, that just you know. It, it your, that out, really. It yeah. diminishes your argument
1: And just just to go back to what Connor said a few minutes ago as well about the rapper versus opera singer thing. I don't know if I should be concerned, but I thought of Andrea Bocelli before
0: Eminem. Funny enough, in my lecture when she posed that question to me, I said Bocelli. Yeah, yeah.
3: I have a question for Alicia. Um, The junior cert has barely been mentioned throughout this whole process. And there's a cohort of students this year where the junior cert is their only form of academic assessment for life. The ISSU supported the cancellation of this year's junior cert exams. Is it really appropriate to just cancel the exams considering a CSO report from a couple of years ago showed that the average of 12.3% of students drop out after the junior search? So would that mean 12.3% of that cohort will leave the education sector with no certificate of assessment? Um,
4: Well, I guess in our report uh, at the beginning, um, I I guess, you know, last resort was to cancel we did want to give students something um now we only had like around i think it was just under three thousand junior cert students um answer so our position was a bit more nuanced and i think it had come to a point where there was so much um controversy and like debacle over the leaving cert that we just had to we it just kind of naturally went to that position unfortunately and like it is regrettable because it's a cohort of students who will never sit a formal state exam before now they're leaving cert so i think there's there's something to be said for us to be uh, moving to support these students uh, particularly during their fifth year if not during their fourth year um, in preparing for state exams because it's an experience that um, it shouldn't be your first time walking to the leaving cert into like a very formal exam hall so it is regrettable i think it had naturally come to that equation they will get a certificate Um, and in terms of out of school learners um, we like we would hope that this would end for junior cert students in June not in October of, uh, of after the summer like it was last year so we'd hope that it would end in June that they would get their certificate um, and that they could just move on whether you're an out of school learner or a junior cert moving into fourth or fifth year.
1: Now I think we'll move on from the leaving cert and the state exams because wow well, we can talk all day about it but we have other things to get to as well so I think the next topic we need to discuss is actually the young leaders we have here in discussion right now. We want this podcast to look at young people who are speaking up and making a difference and dealing with the leaving cert and basically getting their way when there was very little possibility of choice even being on the table only a few weeks ago. It's very fitting I think that we discuss this now. So my first question is to Aeon. We have Alicia who was on the stakeholder group to plan the Leaving Cert, and she, along with Reuben Murray, the president of ISSU, really got this across the line. We have Calum, who was incredibly vocal on this year's exams as well, and clearly making a difference by actually speaking directly to politicians who can actually help make a difference with their job. And then we have Connor, who was very vocal last year about the exams and has started conversations about student activism, being ourselves and the digital world on his YouTube series. We seem to be seeing a lot more people having their voices heard now. The future is looking bright, isn't it?
2: Uh, yeah, and it always has done. And, you know, when we had um, a debate around the Constitutional Convention a couple of years ago about reducing the voting age to the suggestion was it would be reduced to 17. And actually, the to, to Constitutional Convention advocated it would be reduced to 16. Now, it would take a, a referendum for that to happen of people who aren't 16 or 17. But that it was interesting just from those random 100 people in a room who were presented with the arguments about, about what that does, how that... You know, uh, empowers young people to have a, to have a viewpoint. Um, it, it was quite liberating. The, the Scottish independence referendum in 2014, that was that was done. You um, know, sixteen-year-olds in Scotland had the voice for the first time. And then you had politicians going to doors of somebody in their school uniform, not saying "Is your mom and dad in?" For the first time, they're like, ah, right, okay. Well, you have you have a a vote, you have a voice, and younger people are they tend to be more idealistic because you know they don't have stresses and strains of uh well, they do have stresses and strains, but they don't have like a mortgage necessarily or you know big financial things, and they're worried about tax cuts and and uh, and all the rest. But they they want a better world. They're entering into this world where sometimes when you're older, you've just accepted the the world the way it is, and you just wanted things to remain pretty much the same. So at the point, I would make is like i feel this really strongly because um it like titles or you know p- p- political uh, offices or, or or whatever um you know it, it, that's not what you need you need is an argument if you feel strongly about something and if like when i entered politics in 2003 i was thinking about it and i spoke to a friend of mine he said politics is only one way of helping people there's lots of ways of helping people you know politics is only one um, if that's what you're into, go for it and, and, and do it. And, and and hopefully you can make a decision that will help people. But you, even in politics, you need people who, who who are outside politics to help you. So if you feel strongly about drug policy, there's people outside who are lobbying who are experts in the field who will help you. If you feel strongly about education, if you feel strongly about housing, you know, there, there's a whole sort of coalition of people that, that you need to, to, to bring to things to the next stage. But you have to put people at the center for your argument. But the, the point is that if you have an argument well, then think about the argument, believe in your argument, and be willing to argue it with anybody, regardless of their point of view, and to persist with it. Because like no great campaign that has ever won anything ever was done easily. Because if it was easy, sure, everybody would do it. But, you know, I, I have, I have a, a great belief in, in people of any generation who are willing um, to work with others to achieve something. You know, uh, but it's the argument uh, and your belief in the argument that makes the difference. It's not about you know, I, well, I you know, I just retweeted somebody there, and that's that's me done, you know, uh, or just sort of liked somebody's uh, post, or I've just done a really cranky video. And I see them now, people in my generation, I see them online at the moment doing these really kind of you know angry videos, and why aren't the government doing more? I think, like, but is that it? You know, do some research. Learn about what you believe in. Learn what happened in the past with your belief system. Learn Learn why we are not where we are, where you'd like us to be, but why we've come to the position we are now um, and where you want it to be. And if you put people and, you know, humanity at the center of your arguments, you're always going to win. You're always going to win because the other person clearly doesn't have, but it takes time if you persist with it, um, you know, and. Uh, You know, I'm quite happy to live in a country you know ruled by Alicia and Connor and Caleb and (laughs) Ruby, maybe even yourself, Matthew.
0: But I I think that's wonderful um, that you're optimistic about the future. um, But I I think we have cause to be optimistic too, because even though politics is a very old game, I think that modern day politicians, especially it was shown to me through this tobacco have been copping on to it feels like there's a, a lot of political consequence to what's happening at the minute and gone is the day where people could, could just uh, shrug things off Um, it's like it comes down to the bread and butter of politics votes and politicians have wisened up to that and it shows here in this podcast thank you so much Aeon for coming on here and uh, engaging in this because a uh, It's taking it to platforms of young people, of the youth, instead of mainstream media of a time, which is very important. And I've seen it on uh, Calum's Instagram, talking to Mary Lou, Donach O'Leary, all the political figures of the day. So um, I'm glad that there is a bit of a recognition there with politics, that people are kind of catching up.
1: Now, Alicia, I might turn to you next. The ISSU is an incredible union. I still remember getting into the Student Council in 2018, and then become a secretary. And then in 2019, we finally got into the ISSU. We got our membership and thank God we did. It's really the only outlet where secondary school students can get their voices heard. And I think that's thanks to the past two years of the state exams being planned. The ISSU has become a lot more recognized and noticed by so many people. You wouldn't have imagined, you know, like Matthew Ryan, the welfare officer of the ISSU is now here on the 6-1. You wouldn't have expected that to happen two years ago like you just wouldn't expect that at all you wouldn't get student voice like that being heard on a major news program so it does mean a lot to students that their voices are being heard more now than ever so my question to you is do you think that now after these past two years of uncertainty and then clarity after students speak up this is going to give students and young people more confidence to actually speak up on issues they care about and do you think we'll see more youth activism now after all this?
4: Yeah, I think we will. I mean, I think it's like if we all have to reflect here on like, you know, why are we here? Why are we the young people? Like, why am I one of the young people at the table? Um, you know, why am I any different to any student who's never spoken about the leaving search or never spoken about climate change or anything or any political um, kind of issue? And I think it's because um, I was passionate about something when I was younger. Um, which many now are passionate about their leaving search because it's it what it bases their their future prospects off of. um I was passionate and I started out and I grew more confident and in terms of the media I've actually avoided the media because I'm I'm sick of the media I had the media in front of my face the whole time um and I guess you learn you learn like even this whole advisory group thing like I said earlier was so new to ISSU and to me and to Ruben like I mean to be in negotiations with the department of education is not something I ever thought I'd be doing at 19 years of age. And I guess for me, like um, my passion started years ago um, with the environment and learning about all like the way politicians work and the way like all these like people work and like the system and all that, all those things and the way people behave as well and react to things in public opinion. And we've seen with COVID, like, how much like if the government really want to do something like they can do it like they can bring in emergency legislation if they want fairly fast they can you know uh publicize like they can make private hospitals public like you know all the things we wanted for a long time suddenly are like oh we can just do them if we want which is slightly frustrating for someone like me because you know you work so hard and then it's like you know when if you look at climate change like why couldn't we bring in like really good laws and legislation um you know, why can't we if we can bring in like emergency COVID laws, which are some like very, you know, the 5K rule is like a very like, uh, you know, that's quite a strong law to have in the country. So um, I think, yes, it will, because I found my passion years ago and it's brought me to where I am today. And I think this will be the starting point for a lot of students in realizing um, how much politics affects every single person's life and that you do have a voice and i think we just it's not that we don't know we have a voice i think it's that like we just weren't bothered to be using it a lot of people just aren't bothered like why would i care about um the department of education why would i care this and i'm like you do realize that's why your rent for your student accommodation is like sky high that's why you can't afford to insure your car on your own like do you know what i mean all of these things i was like and i think people over the last five six years but definitely now in the last two like leaving certain uh situations people have realized like how important it is and like if anything like we're you know ISSU have like I think we were saying today we've we've got more media calls in the last like five weeks than we have in the space from 2008 to 2020 so I mean that's a reflection of like how I mean I'm not sure about this maybe Connor does but like how the media as well catch on to this change in like society and like you know like you said Matthew being called into the studio and Cork and like um yeah it's just it's and you know everything we said was like gold dust. It was like, oh what are they going to come out with now? Um and again a lot of pressure. Um but yeah definitely I think if anything I hope it has inspired students to to be more active um and like look if your school isn't part of ISSU, um, or you don't know, go on to our website. You can literally just look it up and you can contact us and we can get you all set up. Because like you said, Matthew, it's invaluable to be part of ISSU.
0: Uh, Alicia, you were dead on the money there. Um, In terms of the media, what opened my eyes uh, straight away was the fact that I think people, people kind of didn't realize the media was there to help them. If you get me to get a perspective out. I mean, um, if you think back to the, my the good old days of, of my junior search uh i remember texting to 2fm after coming out of it and being like jesus that was horrific it was actually a prank uh that i was playing on a friend of mine i was leaving her name at the end of the comment but then like i was on the way home after english and a produ- producer rang me back <laughs> looking to get my thoughts on the junior search. so even back then uh you know i i kind of pegged it but um the, the overarching point uh being is this um I found the speculation, um, I found that in some sort of a way, uh, a relief, a release from literally the red tape and the bureaucracy, the crap that I was being fed through my like guidance counselors in that crisis time of 2020. And I found a sort of escape in that. Uh, and I feel like the, when I started getting into it and working with unbelievably, uh, kind media people really it's it might be for the interest of the station but I feel like especially with uh, stations to prioritize the voice of the youth there is a real drive there to represent our voices and contribute to the story because we're a facet of it and in some cases this particular case we are like the main driver of all that's happening and um, so for people going forward uh, what I would say is don't be afraid to send a text into news talk or send a a text into iradio or your local station because um it's not some there is an element of it where they're looking for a scoop you guys can attest to this being journalist students but there i think there is an element of it uh, that people have people are are only starting to cop on to this uh yeah media people there to help you and get your story out there caleb maybe you want to talk about this
5: definitely um i think like like similar to Alicia, like I've been an advocate from a very young age. Like I started as a scout when I was seven. Um and that kind of kicked it all off. And from there it was all about using my voice to represent the worries and the issues that faced me and my peers. Um so like I suppose as well on on climate, like I um it, it annoyed me that that young people weren't represented in our local institutions, in our local democracy. Um And you know one of my friends said it to me at the time and it was like i was like like how how do we go about this like how do we meaningfully tackle this without coming across as radical left-wing youth as we're often branded as um and it was that confidence only comes from confidence so i spent my time reading i spent my time reading i spent my time practicing i spent my time putting myself into situations which were uncomfortable for me as a young person dealing with people much older than me that were employed to do what I was trying to do Um, and eventually it all turned out that I won the election to be elected to the the city and county council to sit on the committee on climate action biodiversity and environment and that's real meaningful change like that that's what we talk about when we talk about tokenizing young people's voices is actually getting people directly elected into the rooms Um, and like it, it wasn't all just about getting elected like it was about bringing the message that young people are represented and now like I know, I, I speak with young people now all over Limerick um, and we all bring our views together through my one seat on this council where we're lucky enough to have the spot and that's similar to what the ISSU are doing within the department, similar to what other organisations are doing at a government level um, and it's just so important that young people realise the power of their voices. Like we have so, so, so much power with our voices and as long as we use it in the right way, like there's nothing in our way that we can't actually tackle um, and it's all about just using it like we spoke earlier really on and all of us said that if we have an actual reasonable argument and humanity is at the middle of it and it's morally right to do this and you believe in it, there's no reason why you can't advocate it for it and you, there's no reason why you can't shift the focus to that to that change. And in terms of media, it's definitely it. Like obviously the people in media are employed there to get the scoop, like Connor said. They're employed to get the the hot headline that people are gonna click on. But at the end of the day, like over the last few weeks um, with the leaving start, like we've been incredibly lucky with the coverage we've got. Like I know myself, like I've done more media in the last two months than I have in my whole life. And like, I, I was never not in the media, like on different issues. Like it's, it, like I've, I've, I've been in issues before, I've, been, I've spoken about issues before, but this has just been one like no other. And I think it really opens the debate further for what young people can achieve and what the issues that face us actually air. And I think number one is education. We, we need educational reform. That's simple as it's it's full stop. We need that Citizens Assembly on education. We need to look at how we can actually develop the processes so it's not that we're sitting here in a podcast saying that we need educational reform, that there's a statutory body that we can actually meaningfully make that change towards educational reform, but as well, like mental health is a massive one for people. Um, young people's voices being heard is another one. Like, there's so many issues that are there that if we turn the focus from being unactive on the issues, not thinking about how we can change it, if we just shift our perspective, just a bit of perspective, and change it to that we can solve this through being together in this. And that's where the power of youth activism comes from. It comes from collective action. Like, it's all well and good me jumping up and saying, oh, we need to change the leaving certs. But if I'm the only person that believes that or supports that then it's not going to happen um, and it's clear that like young people across the country have been very supportive over the last few weeks of actually changing what we want the Leaving Cert to be so why can't we do that with other issues.
1: Now Kayla, I think I'm going to come to you now, uh, I still remember chatting to you last year at the ISSU annual assembly and um, I think it was the sustainability officer that you were running for the time to try again as an national student executive And I honestly could see the politician in you when you were trying to prove your case. And I've seen it time and time again as well now uh, when speaking about leaving search, uh, whether it be on radio or TV. So do you see yourself getting into a future of activism and politics potentially?
5: Yeah, it's definitely an interesting one and it's definitely a topic I've played around with, like, like Aon said earlier. And um, there's so many ways that you can incite change. Politics is one of them. And if you're good at that, then you're lucky. So, I, I suppose one of the skills I've developed over the few years is being able to bring a balanced approach to everything. And, um, like, okay, I may have, like you said earlier, a mic drop moment where I call on the minister to meet with me live on television. But that all came through trying to get the message across that there was no communication with students and that we really needed direct right communication. And um, so in terms of politics, definitely it's it's an interest of mine. I'm hoping to study it next year um, and mix the law and politics, wherever that'll bring me, who knows. But um yeah, like I suppose even right now, like I'm I, I, I am, I suppose I am active politically. Like I, I sit on the council committee. I um I was sitting on one of the committees within the Department of Education on education for sustainable development. I'm doing a bit of work with the Department of Environment, Climate and Communications on public consultation on climate. Um, So definitely there's there's definitely a passion for for politics um, and especially like government administration and how we can engage people in in those discussions. But for me right now, the biggest thing is definitely having young people's voices heard um, and trying to show other young people that their voices can be heard because I think that's what we often forget like I'm very fortunate that I have built up that confidence over the few years like I didn't start out like this I, I before if you'd asked me three or four years ago to jump on a podcast and talk about all this I probably would have scripted the whole thing um, and I can tell you now I've nothing written down it's all off the cuff which I'm which I'm proud of um but it definitely takes practice and that's all I tell any other person in my like like looking at the things I'm putting up on Twitter or on Instagram seeing that I'm going to conferences, talking on the radio or whatever, just put the work in and, and see how it plays out. Like you, you'll never know, like, I never thought I'd be massively interested in media. But over the last few weeks, I found myself like entranced with the workings of radio stations and how it all works out. Um, but definitely in the coming years, I, I don't be surprised if you see me on the ballot somewhere in Limerick County. Um, so it, it's a possibility, it's a possibility. I won't
3: read it out. So Connor, you may not have been as vocal about this year's exams, but you have been very vocal about other issues such as student activism, empathy in the digital world, and not taking ourselves too seriously. So do you have hope that young people after watching your videos do something similar, start speaking up um, as you were such a good example last year to student activism. And now there are students who are really taking over the baton.
0: I think that's a very correct assessment. I love how in-depth these questions, you guys are on at your research. And um, yeah, um, you know, everybody has their own wee thing. Um, and I mean, I'm not going to tell anyone to go out there and um, Follow the blueprint, follow the specific blueprint I laid out because every person's journey is so different. You heard there, Alicia's story of being involved in climate change from a young age, environmentalism, uh, Caleb's story uh, himself, as well, being an advocate from a young age. Like, and his journey to this debacle is probably, you know, as different, very different to mine, you know, circumstances, all that jazz. Um, what I would say to people, though, is uh, whatever capacity. It is that you want to speak out and um, go for it. And um, even if that is uh, telling funny stories, uh, if it doesn't have to be political, there's a, a lot of emphasis on, um, you know, like youth activism on certain political issues and social issues. And there's a lot of people doing that, and it's so wonderful to see. It's a breath of fresh air. Um, if you want to do you know if you're not into that, that's not your thing um i mean like i t- talking to matthew for his podcast like i i'm not a big current affair guy at all you know i do my best to read the paper twice a week um you know so sometimes uh, the social issues mightn't be where um the people want to put their voices um so what i would say to people is don't uh, let that stop you from having an influence on the world. Even if you just want to get out there, tell a few funny stories uh, of stuff that's happened to you over the past. Uh, I On my, uh, on my podcast, that, uh, my It's Not A Podcast, that uh, Ruby was mentioning there about never take yourself too seriously, I'm telling a story about how uh, I scared away my local delivery person and my bin men thought that I was crazy for landing out with shaving foam half on me. When it wasn't even my big day at all. So, what I'm saying is, if it's, uh, if it's not social issues, if you feel like you're passionate about something, uh, if that's comedy, if that's even just telling stories, uh, even talking to people, doing interviews, whatever that form is, if that's where your true spark is and that's where your uh, true love lies, go for it. Like you know, and um, it doesn't have to be necessarily so one dimensional. Uh, People have this uh, fear, this stumbling block of I'm not going to do anything because, uh, God, um, it's so convoluted. I I don't think I'd get my head around it, you know. If you want to go in, go online and talk about your neighbor, uh, the funny thing he said to you last week. Or, you know, there's a place for a huge demand for escapism during this time, this very serious, serious time. Um, If you even want to talk to your neighbor about, oh, there's uh, somebody illegal dumping down the lane. Chat to him about that and give out about it. But um use your voice uh for positivity and ne- never negativity. Um and don't feel the pressure to be a certain thing, you know. You're you, I'm me, we all have our individual stories. And collectively that's where it comes together and it it makes a difference. So uh, you're a piece of the puzzle, don't be afraid to uh, let that out and express that that's it freedom of expression that's like my bedrock
1: now i'm just going to ask alicia one more question do you have any advice for your current third and sixth years of course the junior cert is now cancelled the leaving cert is optional do you have any advice for them
4: yeah um look i'm i i feel like um when I was in first and second year, like I, I didn't mind school. Like I really didn't mind it. It's not like I love school. Uh, I certainly didn't love poetry, but, um, and it's not like I hated it either. Like I'm studying law. It's not like I chose a simple life for myself. Um, but when I was in second year, uh, when I actually moved into third year, I started to realize that, wow, like this really, it means nothing other than proving how good I am at, like Aon said at the junior cert or the leaving cert, like it was all trying to remember stuff. And like, I, I fall under that sort of pressure, like inside an exam, trying to remember everything at once. Like, um, it might seem like I might be good at that, but I'm, I'm really not uh, like, I wouldn't be the best that it was average at those sort of things. Um, which, you know, I have my own things that I'm good at. And I feel like I wasn't reflected in the system, to be honest. Um, and I was lucky to get a scholarship for UCC because I may not have got in otherwise. And like, how is that fair? You know, I'm doing well in my course, love my course. And there's lots of other students out there who, you know, aren't fortunate to get a scholarship, but may be very well suited in law or medicine or something else. But just because maybe they don't get 600 points, that automatically means that, oh, you're not good enough for that. You're not smart enough for that. You're not going to uh, you're not going to do well in that so we're not even going to let you try i mean it's 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 actually horrible like to put students through a situation like that and i after the junior year i realized particularly in fourth year when i was like so busy with different kind of activism stuff and i was traveling i was like you know what i'm going to do my best and my best is good enough and i'm not going to have you know a mental breakdown over this and like that is that was a very you know that was a very a fortunate perspective for me to have and also because my parents never really put pressure on me once I was doing something but you know lots of students don't have that and I I, like I was definitely an individual in that sense because a lot of people definitely like this is the end all like you either do well or that's it your life is ruined forever and it's just so not true so my advice which is what how I did it is that do your best your best is good enough and you're also now living in a global pandemic have your backup plans that you're happy with do not put anything on your cao that you don't want to study there is no point i remember my guidance counselor tell me fill it up till 10 no there is no point because if you end up with number 10 and you hate it you're not going to want to do it so do your research don't just listen to your guidance counselor ask for help you there's plenty of research out there now have your plan B's and do your best. And that's all anyone can ever expect of you. And if anyone else says anything to you, you just know that you're listening to yourself.
1: Now, I think I'll come to Caleb next then. Uh, do you have any advice for the third and sixth year students now? Yeah.
5: So as a sixth year myself, and I suppose it's important as well to, to, to give a shout out to the fifth years at the minute, because they're definitely going through a difficult time as well. So like I said earlier, small and often, um, like you're not in an ideal situations to get massive amounts of work done and um, you're, you're just not like we're, we're sitting at home and we're doing it all through computers and that'll work for some people it won't work for others and there's some people that, that aren't fortunate enough to have that that the, the position and the, the opportunity to actually do that so what I would say is just don't be too hard on yourself um like I know I used to be very critical to myself when I wasn't sticking to schedules and I wasn't um, doing everything right and it was like one small thing would mean oh I can't do anything right now but it's all about balancing it it's all about finding balance and you can push yourself to a certain point um, but you have to realize that if you do push yourself there is going to be a, an opposite um, reaction to that so it's, it's all about caring for yourself taking care like I know what I'm doing now I'm forcing myself out to get out for a 10 minute walk at the very least every day like whether I go on a run or whatever it's before I go to bed or in the middle of study I will go outside and fresh air fresh air is the game changer so my advice is to just do what works for you and and just find some sort of a routine because it's very hard you know like I I've, I've tried a few different things of while work like I've woke up at 12 late for classes I've been up at six way too early for classes and then way like absolutely wrecked when it comes to the time of it so just just try things out don't be too hard on yourself Um, and just be kind to yourself and be kind to others because right now we're in a very difficult situation um and it's very easy for us to be critical of everything so just have that bit of compassion and maybe read a book i know i've got i've tried to read more books um so in a roundabout way i hope that answers the question with a lot of quick fire random advice tips so um that's me. That that's what I'd uh, that's what that's my, my advice be and just stick together and and make sure your voice is heard. That's all I'll say.
3: So we just want to say a huge thank you to everybody who came on today. The panel discussion was a huge success, wasn't it, Matthew? And we just think overall we're really, really, really appreciative of everyone who said their piece and it was truly invaluable information.
1: Absolutely, Ruby. Honestly, to Aeon, Kayla, Alicia and Connor. Thanks so much to the 4 for coming on for our first episode, for our first panel discussion on quite an important topic as well, especially during the COVID pandemic. So it is great to be able to get the perspectives on so many sides there. We had the ISSU Education Officer who has been there in negotiations with the government trying to set up the Leaving Cert. And then we've had the Education Spokesperson in Labour who has been trying to get things done with education, especially the Leaving Cert exams. Then we have Calum, who the sixth year student, you know, directly impacted by what's going on right now, and Connor, who was very vocal last year as well, and kind of looking from an outside perspective onto what's happening this year. Honestly, it was incredible to have them all on, and I have to say we just have to give a huge thank you to them all um, for coming on. So, Thanks so much for listening, everybody, to our first episode, our first panel discussion. And also congratulations if you made it this far as well. I genuinely didn't think it was going to last this long. So I don't know whether or not to be apologetic or congratulatory to you. So um, thanks and apologies, I guess. (laughs) So don't forget to be on the lookout on our social media platforms for episode two. We'll be telling you on there what's coming up. So check out our Twitter at podcast on instagram at what in the world podcast and believe it or not we're doing tiktok now at what in the world podcast but um i genuinely have no clue how to make one <laughs> so i'll have to learn that now in the next while so again thanks very much for joining us thanks for keeping us company and we'll see you again as long as well, stay safe